0: If you guys want to come in and start to make your ways to your seats, we're going to make a start here. Um, so good morning. Uh, my name is Ethan Boyd, and it is my privilege to welcome you here to Adelaide Roads this morning. Um, it truly is a blessing to gather together to worship the Lord our God. I'm not doing that bad, am I? <laughs> if you're new to Adelaide Road, um, or if you're a visitor, you're especially welcome um, we would encourage you to stick around after the service, join us for some tea and coffee, um, just really to get to know you and kind of join together in the community here. So to open the service this morning um, and to call the church to worship, I wanted to share with you a couple of verses from Psalm 89, um, which was actually written by another Ethan. So if anyone ever asked you if Ethan is an Irish name, now you know, it's from the Bible. So, Psalm 89, um, a couple of verses, they go like this. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. So just reflecting on those words, our God's love is steadfast. It will not fade, it will not fail. He has been, he is, and he always will be faithful. And his covenant to David and to us was sealed by sending his son Jesus to come to earth and take the punishment for our sins. What a great love. So let's sing to this loving, faithful God as we stand to sing our opening two songs, which are, Come, Now is the Time to Worship, and Jesus is the name we honor. Amen, please be seated. So we're gonna continue to worship the Lord our God this morning as we come before him in prayer. So let's pray together. Lord God, as we have heard from your words and as we have sung already this morning, you alone are worthy of all worship and praise. Lord, your love truly is steadfast, unshakable and everlasting. When we think about it and comprehend it, we can't help but worship you. And to think, Lord, that your love is being built up forever, as the psalmist says, and we will see the final result when we are together with you in heaven, where every nation and every tongue will worship you. Lord, that truly will be a glorious day. And Father, it is amazing and awesome that such a glorious God is mindful of us. So much so that to fulfill your covenant, you sent your son Jesus Christ to this earth in the form of a man. And even though he was innocent, completely guiltless, Of any and all sin he took our sin upon himself and was sacrificed in our place so that we can one day take part in that glorious worship in heaven all glory honor and praise be to you our god and yet lord there are so many times in our lives when we forget about you and we forget about all that you have done for us we even forget about heaven We confess, Lord, that we are often so much more concerned with the things of this world than of the heavenly things. We often fill our lives with comfort and routine. We think only of work and rest, family and friends, TV and entertainment, study and sports, or money and how we spend it. And Lord, these are all things that you have given us, and they are good but all too often we elevate them to take your place in our lives. We are often so distracted with the busyness and routine of our lives that we leave no space for you. We confess, Lord, that we are often apathetic. We have lost that fire and enthusiasm that we once had for you, and we are overwhelmed with the distractions and the pressures of this life. However, Lord, As often as we forget about you, you do not forget about us. Your mercies are new every morning and your grace is overflowing. You call us back to you as a loving father with steadfast love and faithfulness that we cannot completely comprehend. You paid the ultimate price to buy us, Lord, a price that we could never pay. And for that, Lord, we truly, truly thank you. Not just with this prayer, but also with our songs, with our hearts, and with a lifetime of service. Give us, Lord, hearts to praise you and to worship you, because you, Lord, truly are worth it. Again we pray, all glory, honor, and praise be to you, our God. Amen. Um and so now we're going to look at the first bible reading this morning. Um it's going to be from Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 48. And that should be on page 970 of your bibles. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, and so now I'm going to invite Sam up to the front. He's going to come and talk to the kids about awesome cutlery. Ooh. Wow.
1: We're connected. Is that okay? Can you hear me? Right. Okay. Well, I am going to talk to you about awesome cutlery. I brought some with me. This is a kind of different children's address today. Okay. But I'm not going to talk about this just at the moment. Because I wanted to start by telling you that during the week, I was having a really bad morning. And uh, I was feeling kind of sad, Um, and it's hard to say why I was feeling sad. I suppose I was just feeling sad that things weren't going well for me, and that maybe I was just, I was aware that my attitudes and things weren't great. I was aware that maybe other people, you know, the sadnesses and the sins in other people's lives, and I was just aware in the world that it was a sad situation as well. People were being killed, and that in the news, people that I loved were sick, Uh, Things weren't just working out. And so it was a sad morning. And I was prompted when I was thinking about that because I talked to the, the Lord in the morning and I remembered that James had said, I don't know if you remember this, he said, if any of you is in trouble, he should pray. And if anyone is happy, let him sing songs of praise. And so I knew that I was feeling sad. So, yeah, I wanted to pray, but I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be feeling better than I was. And so I thought, well, I'll I'll sing, I'll I'll start to praise God. And I was doing that, and I came across a group called Awesome Cutlery, okay? Because I'd been reading in a magazine, and it was written by a lady, and she herself had times of sadness. And she actually, this article is very good. I'll not tell you at all. But she was talking about, like, you have to retune your radio. In other words, when you're feeling sad, you need to retune it to happy. Okay? You need to remember something about God. You have to respond to God. And you have to rejoice. If anyone's happy, let him sing. And I, and then she mentioned a group called Awesome Cutlery. I can't say that word, by the way. I have to slow it down. Cutlery. Okay? So, what is this? A knife, okay. I wanted to see if you knew your cutlery, okay. So, i uh, easy ones. What is this? Fork. A fork, okay. And what? Now, you have to tell me the different types of spoons these are, okay. So, what is this type of spoon? It's a spoon. So, it's a... It's not quite a tablespoon. The tablespoon is bigger. It's a dessert spoon. Very good. And what is this one? A soup spoon, and you'll remember that, you know. I'll tell you a very funny story. When I was a a young trainee doctor, I was invited to a consultant's house, and they had this big fancy dinner. And they had all these knives and forks at the side, and we started with a starter. And the consultant, who was a professor as well, took this big spoon, and he ate his, his starter with this spoon. And I was so scared, I did the same, even though I thought he's done it wrong. And then when he had finished, he held it up and he went, oh, look what I've done. I've eaten with the wrong spoon. And then I had to say, and so have I. And then his wife went and got two proper spoons for us to eat with. So that is a soup spoon, and you don't eat your starter with that spoon. And what is this spoon? a teaspoon. Okay. Well, that's good. You know all that. But I'm not going to talk to you about that. I want you to listen. Okay. Awesome cutlery, by the way. I've I never heard. Anybody heard of them before? No, never. never heard of them. It's a group of two people, and one of them's called Captain Awesomeness, and the other is called Cutlery Boy. Okay. Now, in this first song, which you can find on YouTube, I want you to listen very carefully to the words, because it helped me go from sad to happy. And also, there's a word in it that you would never use in a song. At least I would never use it in a song. I want you to see if you can pick it up. Okay. Peter, can we play it? Okay. And you can sing along if you want.
2: on a skin, trip and fall into a bed. sometimes we just wonder why, Boy. things that happen make us cry, <laughs> we get ill or hurt ourselves, but we can always tell each other, we can always tell each other, God is big. Wind us up and make us mad
1: Okay, so now you've got to imagine that I'm in my study singing away to that, okay, doing the OOs and all of that, so it, it really helped me because it moved me from thinking about myself to thinking about how awesome God was, and that's the, the thing about praise, and we don't feel like it, and interestingly, and if you've got your Bibles, you could look this up, actually, and then we'll sing one, or we'll sing another song, <clears throat> This was my reading for this morning, and I was very interested in this, because in Psalm 146, it says, Psalm 146, in fact, somebody could read that to me, somebody in the front row when they get it, okay? Have you got it there? Let's see, everybody can get it.
2: Psalm
1: 146. Okay. Dylan, have you got it? One, four, six. Have we got it? It doesn't say it. It does. There it is there. Good. Okay, you read those first words. Can you read that for me? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What does it say again? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes. Oh, my soul. So it's saying to yourself, the psalmist is saying, and this is the ultimate place where we should be, is that we should be praising the Lord. The last five psalms in the book of Psalms have got nothing about sadness, nothing about sickness, nothing about confession, nothing about anything else other than just praising God for who He is. And that's ultimately where we should be, because God is worthy of our praise. And we don't feel like it. That's why we have to be told to do it. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Because we have to actually make the effort to do it. And I have to say to you that when I did that and praised the Lord in the words of us, Os- in fact, I've listened to them every day. And I'm even thinking of buying their album. <laughs> I have no idea who they are. Um, I think they keep themselves anonymous. Um, there's no pictures of them. I don't know their real names. Maybe you could do some more research and find out. But that is what they sing about. They sing about God. And it really encouraged me. And I hope that if you're feeling sad or you're feeling that life isn't going too well, that we will stop and think about who God is and that he's bigger. And when we do that, then we can sing this last song or this other song. We'll sing this. You, you can sing along with a chorus in this. Uh, you can sing along to all of it. But this is a new, new, it's a new, new day. And that really means that you can start again and that we can have a fresh start. And after this, you can go out to um, K2 and Sunday special. So let's play the second song, Peter, by Awesome Cutlery. Okay.
2: Thank you, Father, for today. Teach me how to choose your way. Help me lift my eyes to see who you are. You are faithful, always true every good thing comes from you meet me in your word and help me worship you it's a new new day For me, help me know you'll always be here with me. I am weak, but you are strong. When I stumble, you hold on. Help me turn away from sin and worship you. Mm. It's a new. day for us to live. One more chance for us to call on the name of Christ the Lord. It's a new, new day.
1: you have now learned about awesome cutlery. And then just remember that whenever you're feeling sad, uh, you can talk to God and you can pray, and you can sing his praise. And that changes sometimes how we feel. Um, it's not wrong to feel sad, but it's good to praise the Lord. So remember that. And I hope you enjoy your day in Sunday special in K2. Thank you very much. Well, folks, it's good to uh, welcome you again to church and I uh, want to say thank you uh, to Ethan for leading so well um, and uh, doing that first part of the service. I also want to welcome all who are visiting uh, with us and especially to Kevin and Christy Thiessen. Um, uh, they're over here. Uh, Kevin and Christy were our, uh, well, Kevin was our first youth worker and I'm going to come and uh, they're going to come and talk to us a wee bit later, but it's lovely to have you and the boys, Bo and Ben. I presume they have gone out, have they? Uh, But you can get a chance to say hello to them. Uh, Some of you who are newer to the church won't know them, uh, but it's lovely to have them, and we'll hear a wee bit more about them later. So next Sunday, the 10th of March, uh, Kevin Hargadden. And I've been saying his name wrong. We had a chat about this. His name is Hargadden. That's how he likes it to be said. And uh, so um, he's going to come and do his final... Uh, preaching with us. Uh, This is his third of the accredited preacher scheme, and that will be him finished. Uh, He's chosen this passage in Acts 2, which some of you will know is really the vision of the church, Uh, and he wants to talk about community, and I think particularly about uh, possessions and how the uh, Western world uh, thinks about this, and so I think that's going to be quite a challenging uh, talk, and he's uh, been thinking a lot about this. So pray for Kevin as he comes to speak next week. We were to have communion on that day, and that was my original thought that I would just do communion. Uh, But I think we'll postpone communion and have it on the 24th of March, uh, which is the first day that we begin to look at the cross, and it gives us more time uh, in that service as well to do that. So communion is not next Sunday. It will be on the 24th of March. Salt Project meets this Saturday, I see. Uh, the 9th of March and so just to encourage all of those of that age group uh, that you're very welcome to attend and you can contact Denise, Ronan or Katie for that. International Cafe continues uh, on Friday the 8th at 7:30. We've had uh, good numbers over the last couple of weeks and that's been really encouraging and a really good spread uh, in the place as well so just pray for that and uh, encourage people in that. So uh, we have uh, the Art of Marriage course, and you can see that there's no meeting this Tuesday. It should say there's no meeting this, this Monday, um, but there is no meeting this Tuesday. There's no meeting this Wednesday. There's no meeting this Thursday, and there's no meeting this Friday. And I thank Ken Mock for that little joke um, as well. So it's not on this week. It's usually on Mondays, um, and so it's not on. Uh, it recurs again on the Monday, the 11th of March. And they've been having a good time. And we want to continue to pray for them. There's a lot happening on Saturday. Uh, We've got uh, Caterpillar Kids on Saturday the 9th of March at 9.30 are having a first aid talk on how to care for babies and children. And if you would like to go to that, do talk to Karen uh, as the places are limited. Um, Bible reading notes. Again, This is I haven't done this yet, and I I hope to do that maybe today or uh, tomorrow. Um, My notes run out at the end of March. Uh, so, if you're going to order your notes, I would uh, suggest that you should be doing that now. And if you need help with that, uh, uh, Dougie and F- uh, Footprints Bookshop will help you, um, or Denise or myself or somebody uh, as well. But we do want you to to, to think about ordering those yourself, um, and there is help available to do that. Um, I think those, yeah, the, David uh, is over the page there and helping. If you want to help him in that, that would be great. Um, I just heard today that uh, Anna and Paolo have had a baby girl, Um, so Eliana, is that right? Eliana, and she was born 19 minutes past midnight today, so her birthday is the third of the third, Uh, 19 makes me feel old, and uh, she was a good weight, 3.5 kilograms, but she's premature, and so we do want to pray for them, and we can do that later on as well, but we, we rejoice with them and thank God for Eliana. So I think those are all the announcements. Um, Let's stand and we'll sing our next song um, as we prepare to hear God's Word. So, men of faith, rise up and sing. Well, if you have your Bibles there, uh, do open them, please, at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Christy's going to come and read that to you now.
3: You can join me on page 1147 to 1148, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes with such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I see this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes against, to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, You yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual morality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your
1: body. Thank you, Christy. Well, um, if you have your Bibles, keep them there in that way. My voice is a bit funny today. I was at the side of a hockey pitch all day yesterday, and it was terrible weather, and I got absolutely foundered, um, so, uh, and then I was coughing last night, so it, it, I, can't be, I can't sing, so I don't know how it sounds. It doesn't sound too bad at the moment, but uh, bear with me if it's a bit croaky at times. So we're going to look at First Corinthians chapter 6, and I certainly, folks, have been challenged by these sermons, and I do hear that many of you have been challenged as well and that there has been good discussion about the content in home groups, etc., and that is good. And I think chapter 6 is equally challenging, and I suppose what struck me about this is that it needs to be read in context. Now, when we talk about context, that means that we need to understand as best we can what the situation in Corinth was when Paul was writing. And I've been very conscious as well that we don't have much time really, in a Sunday morning. And actually, I have limited knowledge. You could spend a long time thinking about these things. It's good to understand the history of the time and the politics, the geography and the social situation, and of course, understand the letter well itself. I'm going back uh, to give you that context by, to look at the, what we saw about Corinth in the first sermon that we spoke about. Because this was a city that was dominated by two very significant temples. And sexual immorality was rife in the city. Interestingly, this morning I just was listening to World Report and it was about Amsterdam. And how the local people in Amsterdam are absolutely up in arms complaining. Because of the tourists that are coming in to see the sex area. And the the historical area in the center of Amsterdam. And they're causing mayhem in the city, and uh, they really have trying to fight back to bring back, uh, in a sense, the reality and the decency of the situation. Corinth was a place where sexual immorality was rife, and because of these two significant temples, there was Aphrodite. Uh, she was the goddess of love, and there was at least 1,000 prostitutes. We're told that came into the city every night, and it's not a huge city. And the other was to Apollo, uh, where male beauty and homosexual behavior was a very prominent feature in the society at large. And I also read this week as well, just in terms of my background, that there was a lot of stealing in the city, a lot of pilfering. It was endemic. You can imagine the houses are quite open. They don't have the security features that we have nowadays. Um, And the houses and public spaces were very susceptible, and nothing could be left attended. In fact, if you were caught stealing, uh, the um, penalties were very, very severe uh, in the local bylaws at the time. And the the authorities were very aware of this, and they had tried to stop it. So you see the mention here, of course, of uh, stealing, thieves, swindlers, very, very common in that society. And I think... Part of the understanding that we have, of course, is to understand that it's a Greek city. And in their thinking, they separated the physical from the spiritual. We mentioned that before we called it dualism. That's the thinking behind this. And so that led to them, if you don't think that the body is important, then you say, well, I just satisfy its desires. That's where food for the stomach and stomach for the food comes from. And so, with sex and food and alcohol, they just did what they want when they wanted, because they didn't think there were any consequences, because the spiritual side of their lives were separate. And they had latched on to Paul's, if you look in verse 12 there, you'll see that Paul's statement, which I believe is his, and he mentions it many times, everything is permissible for me. They had heard him say that, so they took that at face value, as it were. And uh, they really just believe that, you know, they had turned it, as you'll see, into license. Paul then says that's a profound misunderstanding, and he qualifies his statement thoughtfully in verse 12 and following, and we'll look at that a wee bit more later on. Now, alternatively, and I didn't read much about this, if you don't think the body's important in that sense, you can beat it, and you can just leave it, as it were, um, and, and deny it. Um, and not look after it. You can go to the other extreme, and that some people uh, would have been thinking. We call those people Stoics uh, in that way. And so, when Paul lists the sins to be avoided, you can see you can group them into sexual immorality, stealing, and overindulgence, greed, and drunkenness. These are the big category items, which were very common in the city of uh, in the society and in the city of Corinth into which people, uh, which Paul ministered. And really, the city had accepted these these situations. That was what they were saying about Amsterdam as well, They they were people of liberty. But as it had gone on, I suppose they felt, in Amsterdam anyway, that this was too much. But they had accepted these kind of behaviors, and that's why if you look in verse 11, and I love this little phrase. And that is what some of you were. Now, we need to take that on board because the folks who became, who were, you know, unlike us in a sense, were Corinthians. They didn't come from all over the world. Well, they did originally, but they were Corinthians. They were people who were engaged in sexual immorality before they became Christians, they were people who were stealing before they became Christians. They were people who indulged in Greek thinking and therefore were greedy and alcoholics. And they become, they'd come under Christ. It was the default understanding of the practice of the people of the city. And it's into that reality that Paul comes with fear and trembling. And he preaches Christ crucified, wisdom from God as we saw, foolishness to the world Christ's righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And these people have been given this holiness, righteousness, redemption as a free gift. And they have been turned from their wicked ways, as he describes them in this. What they were once wicked in God's eyes, they are now called to be holy. And we saw that in chapter 1 and verse 2 to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So I think we need to understand that before we come to this chapter. That's what it means about thinking and about context. And and I suppose one of the key verses here is verse 9. And the other thing I want to kind of talk to you about before I actually look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this text because I want you to get this idea in your head first of all is what verse 9 says. This is, I think, the key verse in this chapter. Do you not know that the wicked, and that's what he's been describing, will not inherit the kingdom of God? And I do want us to take a moment, if we will, to think a little about the idea of the kingdom of God. It's crucial that we understand this well, and it's not actually well understood in the Christian church. We do struggle with it. We have different views of it. Um, you know, either we think it's over realized, we talk about, in other words, that we should expect everything that Jesus did, everything that we get in heaven now. And then I suppose in the side that we're on, that maybe we don't think enough about it and that we don't encourage enough thinking about it. And I was fascinated by what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. Because Jesus says, "I must preach the good news," in other words, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And 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 what I've been trying to do this week is hold these two things in my mind. So the gospel and the kingdom of God, the two are included. That is why Paul is able to talk about, though you do not know that, you do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's speaking about both the gospel and the kingdom of God. Not simply salvation, because it's not an insurance policy. When you become a Christian, it's not an insurance policy to get you to heaven. If that's what you think it is, you've misunderstood it, because it's a gospel about the kingdom of God. It's a gospel about Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, He is the supreme ruler, and before him every knee will bow. So we live under his authority. That is what it means to be a Christian. Salvation is about forgiveness of our sins and living life in relationship with Jesus as Lord, as members of his kingdom. And we have that kingdom now. We are in that kingdom If we are born again of His Spirit, that's how we enter it through faith and being born of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit of the inheritance, the future that will be kept for us in heaven. So that is why Paul talks about inheriting. We don't yet have what we have begun to have, but we don't have it all until we come face to face with Him after death or when He comes back again. And folks, it's absolutely vital. If we are to understand why Paul is so strong on these things, that we understand the nature of the kingdom. If you want to live as you please and ignore Jesus, then you are not in the kingdom. You will not inherit it. And so we are people who live under Jesus and under his authority. And I think the apostle Peter has said this, and I suppose I went here, I could go to Paul and pick out different verses, but Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the gospel and the kingdom and into an inheritance that can never perish. Spoil or fate. this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The kingdom is now, but the kingdom is future. And you need to understand that, if we're to understand the context of this passage. And if you remember another illustration as well, if you remember last week Katie's excellent yeast demonstration... Um, I was struck by that. I nearly got a packet of yeast again and had it at the front, so that you would see what it does but it 's an amazing picture isn 't it and and i I was absolutely struck and i 'm kind of going aside here by how, at the time of the exodus, God told them to have bread without yeast, and yes, he did that because they didn't have time to let it prove, and they didn't have time to let it rise so that because it would, they had to tuck themselves in so that they could go at any time. That's not primarily what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the person of the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And you cannot have Jesus with sin. He is sinless. So he is unleavened bread. And it's an amazing thought. And we are in his kingdom. And if we are easy with sin, then we're not part of him. That's what it says. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? In the land that they were going to, the promised land, they were to remove all traces of sin. However, when they crossed into it, of course, it was full of nations and people who didn't believe what they believed. They, They encountered all sorts of natural disasters, they, they encountered wild beasts. It wasn't the place that it, that it was meant to be. Because this is not the place that it's meant to be. We live in the kingdom of God, but this world is broken because of sin. And yet the unrighteous cannot inherit the kingdom of God because God is righteous. Those who choose not to live by and insist that, that they will not live by the king's standards cannot be part of his kingdom. They despair himself. And, folks, what was happening in Corinth was that these people were deceiving themselves. They were saying, we can live as we like. Everything's permissible. We can go back to the sins that we did before because we're part of the kingdom. That's why he says, if you read it, "Do do do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And we must similarly not be deceived. That is what this whole passage is about. Everything else is, in a sense, incidental to it. And I hope that you will take that away with you as we think about it. We must be serious about sin in, the, in our lives. So we've got to, 1 Corinthians, again, don't mess with sin. And the whole idea of the kingdom of God, that's absolutely crucial here. And we can talk about that. And I want to talk about this first one here as well. Oh, yes, this is Johnny, by the way. I knew that we'd need some light relief at this point in time uh, because that was a a heavy enough session, wasn't it? So I had the privilege this week of going to see Johnny uh, play. He's the captain of the University of Ulster soccer team. And they won their league and have now been promoted to the next league. And uh, there's the captain himself um, with all his team And uh, it was a great day. I was saying to Ben and Bo, we took Ben and Bo and Kevin, of course, and we were saying to the boys, isn't it great? I have a great job. I can go in the middle of the day to watch a soccer match, (laughs) you know, and it can be seen as ministry because I'm actually supporting one of our members, you know. Um, So that is great. So it was a good day, beautiful, sunny day and a really good team, good football, well played. Now, I didn't just put that up to praise Johnny, but I did that in that way because we must live life within boundaries. And every game is played within boundaries. So the referee, give gave Johnny a yellow card. Um, don't you know? Did he, did he, did he deserve it? I, well, there you go, that's another thing. So, yes. And that's what keeps the game flowing, isn't it? The, the I mean, by the way, the Abbottstown Sports Centre is just awesome. First time I'd ever been at that side. the pitch was immaculate. And so the lines were perfect, and you play within the lines, of course, you know all of that. I'm just trying to make the point that living and working within boundaries is essential for life to work. And what happens? This is what verses 1 to 8 are about, if you want to look at that. I think that's coming up. Disputes in the church, verses 1 to 8. So the question is for us as believers, what happens when those boundary lines are broken? What happens if somebody cheats you, verse 7, or wrongs you? Somebody does something that's wrong to you in the church. What should you do? Well, Paul says that you shouldn't go to court for two big reasons. And the two big reasons are the kingdom of God and the gospel, when you look at it at heart. Now, I know it's not easy to see all of this stuff in this, and you do need to do a bit of work in this. But at heart, Paul is saying, and the scriptures back this up, I I find a reference to this is in Daniel 7, 22, um, in Matthew's gospel, in Revelation. The Bible tells us that you, that's the church, will judge the world with Jesus in the kingdom. That's an amazing thought. It says that we will judge them And that we will judge them well because we will do what Jesus tells us to do. We will sit on thrones. That's the image that's used. And we will judge the world. And not only will we judge the world, but we'll judge angels. And by that, I mean probably fallen angels. In fact, everything will be subject to your judgment. Verses 2 and 3. And if that is true, as Paul says it's true, and that is the vision that you have, as Jesus says it's true, then he says surely you can find someone in the church someone who can judge those matters in light of the greater task that you will yet perform which is the task of judging the whole world and in light of this great responsibility these matters being wronged being cheated are trivial in the light of the the light of the kingdom he's basically saying money means nothing property means nothing. It doesn't really matter in the light of eternity. Put up with it. I've been following the Dennis O'Brien case and the libel case, just to give you an aside on that as well. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Dennis O'Brien didn't go to court on the final day because he knew that he had lost. He's going to lose financially up to the possibly one million euros. And then you saw the interview with the other side, the journalists. They were delighted. They were ebullient. They were positive. So one loses, one doesn't lose. And and Paul says that's not the gospel. That's why he says you're already defeated in verse 7. You're concerned with rights. You're concerned with victory. You're concerned with vindication. You're concerned with the punishment of the other. But in the gospel... You give up your rights. You always seek the good of the other. You suffer for others. You want to see forgiveness and acceptance of others. Why? Because that is what you have experienced. God has accepted you in your wrongdoing. God has accepted you in your sinfulness. God has accepted you as you were. He has not judged you. He has taken that punishment for you. And so he, Paul says, when you apply the thoughts of the kingdom and you apply the uh, gospel property, then no one in the church will ever go to court with another believer. You will instead apply the gospel of forgiveness and the kingdom thinking of life being too short. And you will get on with life. You will forgive and you will move on. Now, Paul is not in the and the Scriptures are not against the law, and they're not against judges. You can read that in Romans chapter 13. But in this instance of believer against believer, we do not do it, because Paul and Jesus say so, and because of the kingdom of God, and because of the gospel. Secondly, we're not to be deceived in verses 9 to 11. So those engaged in sexual sin uh, are mentioned here. Uh, Chapters 8 to 11, by the way, will deal with the whole issue of idolatry. Stealing, as I mentioned, was huge in this society, and greed. And the the thing is that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I've already spent a lot of time in this. I'm not going to uh, re-look at this again, but I do want us to look at verse 11. It's worth pondering verse 11, isn't it? Many, um, I read about this this week in the sense that some think that this is a baptismal statement that was used in the church, uh, that second part, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It has a lovely feel to it, hasn't it? It's Trinitarian, it is comprehensive, and it's just a very, very clear statement, theologically speaking, of course, as well, and Practically speaking, of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has done this through his name. It's his character that has allowed this to happen, it's his work that has allowed that to happen, and through the power of the spread of God. And of course, this is what some of you were. We've talked about that as well. But this is what you're called to, and this is how it's achieved through the gospel and what the kingdom demands. And I suppose I simply want to leave with you folks and and with myself that you are to be what you are. You are washed. You are made holy. You are declared righteous in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are to live that way. And if we live in any other way, then we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So don't be deceived we're not to live this way. And lastly, we're to honor God with our bodies. Again, folks, this is absolutely fascinating, and I, uh, I don't want to spend a huge amount of time in this, but I mean, it is worth really delving into, and I'm just going to give you what I think is the summary of this. Um, and again, it's about the kingdom of God, and it's about the gospel. He has a phenomenally strong defense of his everything is permissible statement, um, and his, in verse 12, and his summary argument, I think, goes like this, if you follow with me. So he says, you say, food for the stomach, and stomach for the food, in verse 13. You say it's simply a question of appetite. And Paul says, God will destroy these. I say, And it's the same parallelism. The body for the Lord and the Lord for the body, verses 14 and 15. And God will raise the body. You say, therefore, that the body counts for nothing. It's simply appetite. And this is the point. I say the body counts hugely. It's part of the kingdom of God. It's not meant for sexual immorality. It will be raised from the dead. This body that I have, that you have, will be raised from the dead. That's what the kingdom tells us. And there is an intimate connection between the body and the Lord because it houses the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's part of your redemption reality. You are a new creation in Christ. And can you see where that goes, folks? When you apply the gospel, when you apply the kingdom of God, that's what he's doing. And instead of downgrading the body, he elevates it to a completely new level. God, therefore, he ends his statement with, owns your body because he bought it. He's going to raise it. And you have a huge responsibility. To not do the things that he says we're not to do here in the scriptures. Again, the gospel is worked out in redemption and ownership of our bodies. And the kingdom is worked out in the future raising of the body. And he will look at that again in chapter 15. Both properly applied direct us how we are to live. Food and sexual intercourse are not equivalent appetites. That's what people say, isn't it? It's just an appetite sex. Paul says no, because it affects the body. It's about intimacy. It's about love. It's about two becoming one flesh. It's different. And it's different in light of the gospel. It's different in light of the kingdom of God. And so he will talk, of course, in chapter 7, and we won't do that until after Easter, where he'll look at this whole idea of the proper place for sex And that is within a mortal relationship. And so I want to leave with you folks just this whole idea of what he says. Therefore, honor God with your body. Don't use it for sexual immorality. And so in summary, I think there are two very clear commands in this section. We are to flee sexual immorality. We are to honor God with our bodies. And we do that in the context of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Our king is Jesus. His will is always good, pleasing, and perfect, even when life is tough and when his commands seem difficult because of sin in us and in others and in society. And it is easy to be deceived when society pressurizes us so hard And Paul, as a pastor and as a father, says passionately, please heed these commands. They are worked out in the light of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. And that is the way that we honor the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I... Pray that, that we will understand the, the, the pathos, I think, of Paul, the apostle, who came to this community with fear and trembling. And Father, when he saw the society around him, he saw its brokenness because of the sinfulness of its people. and Yet he did not condemn them because he came with the gospel, and he came with a vision of the lordship of the Lord Jesus and a way of living that was good and pleasing and perfect. And Father, he's distraught by this church because it has abandoned the gospel. It has listened to the society around it. And Father, he wants them to return to the truth, the truth of the gospel and the truth of the kingdom. And Father, we know that it's not easy to live like this. We do need Christ. We can only do it with Christ. And this is the reality of what it means to live with him. And it's good, it's not bad, it's right, it's not wrong. And I pray, Father, that you will help us with fear and trembling to work out our salvation and to live as we're commanded to do. And, Father, we thank you that when it is tough for us, and I know that it is for many, that, Father, the vision is of the kingdom and of the glory of the resurrection And of, Father, the place where there will be no more fear and no more trembling and no more sin. And there will be a community that is not broken and a community that loves the Lord wholeheartedly and is able to walk with him without sin. Father, I know when it's tough, I pray that we will see this greater perspective. And I pray that you will help us to listen to your word and to honor you by obedience. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's worship God as we give our offering to him now. Great. Well, ask uh, Kevin and Christy to come to the front. Yeah, well, we kind of debated how we would do this, so I'm just going to ask some simple questions, but really I do want them to talk. So so Kevin, some people in the church will not know who you are, because the church changes a lot. Uh, so give us a little insight into how you came to Ireland, and what you were doing, and ultimately how you came to Adelaide Road.
4: Okay. Please. Well, it's good to be with you. It's good to see many familiar faces, and lots of new ones as well. Um, Originally, I came to Ireland in 1997. I was a part of a soccer team, a football team with Athletes in Action. And so we were brought over to Lucan. And uh, we're a part of uh, some of the work of PCI, doing reconciliation work, trying to bring Catholic and Protestant kids together. And using soccer or football as a platform to share Jesus. And so that was my first start. I was about 19 then. I continued to come on those trips. So over time, went from being a, a player to um, one of the directors and leaders, and worked with athletes in action all over the island um, and that 's actually where we met the Mowines in ninety nine we met the Mowines out in Fermoy and Cork and doing some camps out there and then working up north as well so that 's what what started um, with soccer unfortunately the 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 downside well there 's lots of good stories but but one of the things that that shaped coming to Adelaide Road was that so many of those teams uh, sport is celebrity, and, and that culture can, can be put on a pedestal. And so often the results seem to be good because there was great impact through those camps. But being one of the few people that would keep coming back on those tours, what we saw was that although the initial impact was good, that the follow-up, because there was not a good partnership with the local church or with the local missionaries um, in some of these locations, some of the fruit of those ministries um, wasn't positive we'd come back, and though many came to faith, very few stayed with the faith. And so my burden became, well, how do we work better with the local church? How do we do that follow-up better so that these teams that are coming over are actually helping those who are doing the long-term work? And there was a couple here at Adelaide Road uh, from Canada, Brian and Susan Garvey, if some of you remember them. And they were the ones that actually connected the dots and suggested, well, here's a church looking for a youth worker. Why don't you go and be the follow-up? And... Um, Long story short, that was a beautiful marriage. Uh, Christy and I had just been married in September of 2003, and so we actually got to start our married lives up in the loft, uh, just above Adelaide Road, and, um, and help Adelaide Road begin a youth ministry. We had people like Tommy Wilson and Peter Thompson and Annie Patton who were working with the youth already. And um, so, yeah, we got a chance to come alongside this church. Uh, Frank and Claire Seller were the uh, ministers at that time. And uh, we're just so grateful. This was a great family to us. Uh, you, you, you bore with us as uh, we were figuring it out. And, um, yeah, we're just grateful for the many friendships that were formed here and really grateful that um, our, two, our eldest twins were born here in Dublin. So we've had the chance to bring them back and to show them where they were born. And um, Yeah, so that's about it.
1: Great. I knew I wouldn't have to ask too many questions here. So, um, yeah, great. That's lovely. Um, Chrissy, I'm going to ask you this part then. Is that okay? Um, because I, I, I wasn't quite sure where the marriage had come in, but Kevin's told us that you were married and that you lived here. So maybe you'll take us from being married um, and towards Canada. Tell us, you take us on that journey, and then I'll come back to Kevin to ask what he does in okay. the church. Okay.
3: Yes, yeah, so we were married in 2003, came here in 2004 and got to spend our first four years here. And as Kevin said, you really bore with us as we were learning and we were young. And um, Kevin came with a lot of enthusiasm because he's kind of 14 at heart, is what I like to say. So we really got along really well with all the, with all the kids. And that, then our boys were born here and we moved back to Canada. Kevin did his master's and I did some more education. We had a few more kids and moved to, all the way to the West Coast where um, Kevin got a job at a church there. Does that answer your, what you wanted to know? <laughs> you, you both, yeah.
1: okay. You're just brilliant. That's great. Okay. Yeah,
3: yeah. That, so, so now we're there. We've been there almost almost nine years, which I like to round up and say almost 10 years because it sounds more mature, I guess. <laughs> um,
1: but, tell us about the na- Just tell us the names of your children. And oh, them. right. So our twins are
3: Ben and Bo, and then we have two girls that are seven and eight, and that's Kaya and Rhea and then little baby... He's still the baby. He's three. His name is Titus. So he's our—he's very entertaining, and that keeps me really busy with
1: all those kids. So, great. Great. thank you. And um, just yeah, the boys are great, by the way. Um, and Ben is very sweet. And he was saying, you know, Sam, um, are you the lead pastor? So I said, I said, I'm the I'm the senior pastor. I'm the lead pastor. I'm the only pastor. Uh, and he said, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> Uh, because he thought that was an awesome responsibility so Kevin is not the lead pastor you are the associate pastor and I presume his church is bigger and so Kevin will you tell us about the church that you're ministering in and what you're doing and how we can pray for you thank you yeah
4: so when we left Adelaide Road we didn't want to leave Adelaide Road but there was a couple things one was that there were a lot of foreigners like myself being recruited to do ministry in Ireland but we had a burden for how do we actually invest in raising up Irish young men and women to lead in these ministries. And so the intention of going back to do this master's in leadership and management, um, it was at Briarcrest Seminary. The thought was that we'd be coming back. Uh, The hope was that we'd be coming back, but of course the economy collapsed. And a lot of those that I worked with that were colleagues here were just dispersed, and there was no opportunities um, um, to to get back. Just before we came back in 2009, um, we, we did come back with a sports team, and, and we connect, reconnected with Adelaide Road and, and, and others, and athletes in action. Um, uh, one of my professors, he didn't tell me this, but he knew a church that was looking, um, had a lot of similarities to Adelaide Road, but they were looking for a pastor of outreach and missions. So Central Baptist Church, where we are in Victoria, is another city center church with a citywide wide congregation, uh, a very much a street community that, that is our neighborhood. Um, but they had been aging and had become quite inward-focused, and so they had created this role to get an outward focus. So my role over there is um, everything that is outward-focused from the church, so trying to help the church get out of its four walls, recognizing that if people are looking for God, but they have come to a point where they think Christianity has had its chance, they don't think Christianity is a valid belief anymore, well, how are they going to find Christ if we're waiting for them to come into our buildings? And so a big part of it has been rebuilding trust and relationship with the community, but getting involved in the community. Um, It's been a lot of work just helping people to have conversations again, to to listen well, to pray constantly for opportunities, uh, for for guidance when we're in those conversations, and then um, helping a church that... Uh, had, had hoped that, you know, people would come to faith because they'd come into the church building, they'd, they'd hear the word of God, and they'd grow in faith. Well, if they're not coming, then what do we do? So looking at the thresholds that people need to cross in a, in a post-Christian world. So rebuilding trust, that in that trust, in that relationship, that when they see your walk max, matches your talk, that curiosity can, tends to be stirred again. And then openness comes as they see lives that are lived differently, um, but we have to get out of those four walls. We have to get out of the walls and, and engage in our community. So I get to do that locally. I get to do that with our missionaries abroad in a variety of different ways from social justice to church planting <coughs> to various ways. So it's, a, it's an associate role that essentially you could just call me a utility man at the moment, but um, it's a joy to help the church engage the community and, and, and bring the gospel to those who haven't heard it before. And so that's essentially what um, we're doing now uh, Christy's a nurse and um, is about to move into paediatrics, so um, yeah, together we're enjoying both our family and also just serving the church.
1: Okay, thank you. Well, you, if you want to take a seat, I'll, I'll pray. Okay, folks, um, do, do please talk to Kevin and uh, Chrissy and uh, yeah, just in, encourage them uh, after the service as well. Let me pray uh, for that situation, please. Father, it is just lovely to be reminded of the, the journey of faith that you've taken uh, Kevin and uh, Christy on, and Father, how you've developed them as individuals and uh, as a couple, uh, as a family. And uh, Father, thank you for this tremendous vision that Kevin has and has uh, worked among us and in Fermoy and uh, Lord now in Canada. And I really pray that you will bless them as they return to ministry. Uh, in their Baptist church there, that you will, uh, Lord, encourage them as they meet with people, that they will encourage them within the fellowship. And Father, that we will just continue to be uh, mindful of them and to keep them uh, before you. Father, we're conscious of the needs of many people in our church, and uh, Father, we want to pray for Annie this morning. We're really hoping that she will be discharged from hospital, that is the plan. And Father, we pray that she will be well enough to do that and that you will keep her well uh, until further treatment is needed. We pray for our good friend, Billy Gilmore, Lord, who is very frail. And Lord, we pray that you will be with uh, Billy at these latter days of his life and that you will give him comfort and care. And we give thanks, Father, for the power of the gospel in his life and for how it gives him a great hope. And Father, he would love to be with you and see you face to face. And I pray that you will be with him. Father, we pray for John John Reed. Uh, We pray for John in these difficult days. We pray for Jonathan Mitchell, and we pray for healing for him. And Father, we thank you for those who care deeply. We pray for Lorna Carson this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that you have been full of grace to Lorna. And we know that life is tough for her at the moment and that she's very tired in every way but we thank you for those times of positivity with her father and mother, those precious times. And Father, we pray that you will give her more of them and that you will sustain her. And I pray that her father will know you as he passes from this life into eternity. We thank you for the great care that the family and the others are giving, and we pray into that situation. Father, we pray for our church and we pray for our home groups, their leaders and hosts. And we pray that within these these times of Bible study and fellowship and prayer, that we will grow uh, in relationship and in discipleship, and that you will bless us in that. And Father, we look forward to Kevin and Claire, Hargad, and Cubbon again. And we pray for them and Eamon. I just am fascinated by Kevin's influence in the Jesuit community in Ireland. We thank you for his strong sense of social justice and his understanding of your scriptures. We pray that as he writes and thinks and debates with people, that you will give him great relevance to the people in Ireland. We pray that you will help him and protect him as he makes big decisions about his future. And we pray for Claire particularly, in her ministry within prison. Pray that she will be caring, truthful, and helpful, and that you will bless her in that very strategic ministry. So, Father, we pray for these people. There are many, many other things we realize when we stop to think about you and are encouraged by each other to pray. And, Lord, we leave them with you and the unsaid prayers of many. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's finish our service, folks, by singing uh, a hymn, I suppose, just to kind of encourage us to keep on being what we are. Fight the good fight with all your might. But that's not our strength. Christ is your strength, and Christ your light. Let's stand to sing. Well, let's bless each other with the words of the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.